So this morning, friends, I have the incredible privilege of continuing with our identity series. Have you been enjoying this journey? I always ask this question, as you know, has it been helpful? Have you been taking what you have been reading through and putting it into practice in your life? <laughs> All of a sudden, it's very quiet. Yes, yes, hmm. All right, remember, friends, the, the, the purpose of all these preaching journeys is not just to entertain you. It's not just to pat you on the shoulder and well done, saint. You're, but actually, it's for us to keep transforming to become more like Jesus, right? That's what we're about. And so I would encourage you, as, as we work through this material, as, um, as God puts his finger on your heart, in a certain aspect of your identity, won't you please work that through with your heavenly father? Because clearly there's something that he's speaking to you about. There's some encouragement. He's asking you to change. And so please do that. Amen. Wonderful. I have everybody waving books at me. I do have the message, guys. Thank you very much. If you don't have a book, Clearly, we have some very eager people who want to put a book in your hand. And so, please, won't you raise your hands? We all, everyone has a book. So, won't you please go and give those folk a book? If you have a book, please turn to page 8. We are, we are on page 8 this week. And while they are doing that, I want to recap us quickly in terms of what we've been through. This is week 3, so there's obviously been a week 1 and a week 2. If you remember week 1, D, if we can bring up that picture of the circles, please. Remember Brent launched us, friends, and he spoke about that there is an identity gap, right? There's how we see ourselves. There's the truth that we believe about ourselves, which 9 times out of 10 turns out to be the lie that we believe about ourselves. You're not beautiful enough, you're not good enough, you're not competent enough, you're not this, you're not that. It's all the lies that somehow we believe about ourselves, friends. That is, as you can see, what number three there, what I believe. The identity gap. It's how we identify ourselves as whatever. Then on the opposite side, we have what God sees about us. That you are more than capable that you are more than a conqueror. You are incredibly gifted. You have the Holy Spirit with you. You are a winner. You, we, together we can do this. And so what God wants to see, friends, is what he wants to speak to us about. And obviously as we journey through this, the purpose of this journey is to get circle one and circle three to coincide. So that what we see or what God sees is what we start believing. Amen. And so as God speaks, as I said, please, would you be working it through with the Holy Spirit and allow God to transform your lives? Week two last week, Chaz shared with us incredible message about we are a child of God, right? We are a child of God. That is critical to our identity, that I am a child of God. That means that God is my heavenly Father, when we chatted that through with Connect Group, it was an incredibly interesting conversation around accepting that God is our Heavenly Father based on how we experience our earthly fathers. We are loved. We are accepted. And we are transformed by our Heavenly Father. Week three then, friends, if you're on page eight, You'll see there that today we're going to look at the identity of I am a servant. I am a servant. 
So this week, when you go to your connect groups, you're going to hear Steve speak about um, I'm a servant. This morning, we're going to speak about that as well. But I would encourage you on page eight, there is an opportunity to take notes. And I would encourage you at the top of that page right there, I am a servant. Stroke, he is my master. So if I had to ask you this morning then, you know, last week's preach, hearing that I'm a child of God, I'm sure you left feeling really good, right? I'm a child of God. When I say that you are also a servant of God, how does that make you feel? Maybe if you're really honest, some of us will, yes, I, and some of us will go, no, I don't, I don't want to be a servant. I don't understand what it means to be a servant in the house of God. I don't understand what it means to be a, a servant in the kingdom of God. How on one hand can I be a child of God and on the other hand be a servant of God? In my mind, these two things conflict. They do not gel. And this morning, I'm trusting, friends, that as we work through this, that you'll begin to realize that actually I'm a child of God and I'm a servant of God is two sides of the same coin. It's two sides of the same coin. You see, the big idea that I would love to share with you this morning is that I'm a child who serves, and at the same time, I'm a servant who has been adopted as a child. Let me say that again. I'm a child who serves, but at the same time, I'm a servant who is adopted as his child. You see, Jesus said it like this in Matthew 20, verse 26 to 28, speaking into this idea of we are called to be servants in the kingdom. He said, but among you, it will be different. In other words, amongst us who believe, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be the first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to serve, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so won't you join me in prayer, friends, before we go into what we're going to look at this morning. Because maybe our hearts need to be transformed. Maybe what your neighborhood needs, maybe what your city needs, maybe what your province and your country needs right now are those that are prepared to serve. And so, Father, this morning, I thank you for your word. Lord, we say every, almost every week, Hebrews tells us your word is living and active. It is not dead. It comes alive. Isaiah 55 says it comes from heaven to accomplish something. It's not sent just to entertain. And so this morning I pray, may your word go to work in our lives and transform our hearts and ultimately change who we are. In Jesus' name, amen. So friends, before, before we launch into what does it mean to be a servant, I thought it would be good just to lay a foundation around this. So won't you turn to Philippians 2, verse 6 to 7. It speaks about Jesus. As you know, we are called to follow him, to emulate Jesus. And so in terms of this aspect of the king leaving heaven and coming down to earth, it is said of Jesus in Philippians 2, verse 6 to 7, it says, Though he was God, speaking about Jesus, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. 
Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. NIV or, or, or ESV version, you'll, if you're reading that, it'll say a servant. He took the humble position of a slave or a servant and was born as a human being. You see, friends, this was not man's idea. This is not our idea that we've come up with to say, well, we need to be servants. No, this was God's idea, friends. This was the expectation that God made of his own son, Jesus. That the king of kings, the prince of heaven, was going to leave the intimacy, was going to leave heaven and come down to earth, not as a king, because that's how the people of the day expected the prophetic word to be fulfilled, that there would be a king that comes to rescue them, to redeem them. But God's way was always that he was going to come down as a servant, friends. And that's what Philippians 2 verses 6 to 7 tells us. It's not man's idea, it's God's idea. And so if taking on servanthood, friends, is what was expected of Jesus, and Jesus perfectly and fully obeyed, then for us it's not a price to pay, but a privilege to accept. If, it, if this is what was expected of Jesus, and Jesus gave up as much as he did, fully obeyed the will of the Father. It is not a price for you and our friends to take up servanthood, but it is a privilege to embrace. And I trust even there that something of your mindset will begin to change. That this is not a demotion in the world, it is called that. In the kingdom of God, it's actually promotion. It's promotion, the way God works, friends. And so this morning, I want us to have a look, is that because I am a servant of Christ, I have privilege and I have access to a number of things. I have privilege and I have access to the master's plans. I have privilege and I have access to the master's protection. I have privilege and I have access to the master's provision. And I have privilege and I have access to the master's praise. A whole bunch of peas that have been pulled together there, friends, as we transform and on this journey of becoming more like Jesus. So first one first. I have privilege and I have access to his plans. This morning I'm going to share with you so many of my favorite stories in the Bible. Some that really stand out to me. And, 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 and when I want to be encouraged, I go back and I read these. And I remind myself of these stories, of these great men and women and what they did and what they decided. And how it set them up for the rest of their life. And one of those people, friends, is Mary, the mother of Jesus. When you read how, G, how, how Mary got to learn that she was going to be the mother of Jesus, friends. I dare say, ladies, if you, were, if you were in that context, you possibly would have run a mile. Because you see, the angel Gabriel came to Mary. And he spoke to her. And he said that she was going to become pregnant, that the Holy Spirit would overshadow her. And that she would become pregnant. Now the context, friends, is Mary was not married. She was engaged. Engaged. 
to be married to Joseph. And here this young woman, commentary will say that she was possibly an early teen. Young teenager, not mature, not spiritually immature, but the, the, the angel comes and speaks to her and says, you're going to fall pregnant, you're going to have a child, the child that's going to be born is going to be Jesus, God's son. He is going to rule and reign forever, and this is your role. Now put yourself in that context if a message like that comes to you, how you would respond. But I love Mary's response in Luke 1 verse 38, friends. See, Mary, she responds in this way. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May everything that you have said about me come true. And it says, then the angel left her. I am the Lord's servant. You see, friends, Mary understood that she had a role that she had to fulfill in the plan of God. It was laid out for her. It was explained to her. She accepted the role. She said, I am a servant. You see, friends, one of the things that we wrestle with, or should I rather say, no, I'll say we wrestle because we all wrestle with this is we want to be in control, right? Gents, you want to be in control. We want to be in control. We want to be boss. We want to be master of our own destiny, friends. And so we find it incredibly difficult to buy into this concept of we are a servant because ultimately what's that, what that means then is we are not in control. It is incredibly challenging, friends. But I would love to encourage you to take on the attitude we read about Jesus, we're reading about Mary. I am his servant. You see, friends, from experience, and I believe possibly this is what Mary encountered as well, is that when we surrender to the will of our Father, with it we find relief and we find joy. Relief because we know that he is in charge. We have handed over the reins. As a servant, you are not necessarily the master of your destiny. You follow the instructions of your master. You hand over control. And as, as, as challenging as that sounds, friends, when you choose to do that, and for those of you that have, I'm sure you'll, you'll identify, it comes with an incredible relief because now the man... Jesus, our heavenly father, who's in control of all and holds all heaven together, calls out the stars, names them one by one as they come out. He now is in control. And with that, friends, comes an incredible joy as well. Because we then begin to function according to what Jesus created us to be. Our DNA comes alive, friends, when we serve. And once again, if you have been in that position, you'll know what I'm speaking about. We have access to his plans, friends. I, for me personally, I can remember many decisions, but I'd love to just relay one of them or share one of them with you. Is we had the opportunity of getting involved in quite a big agricultural project. 
just south from here. And we were invited in. They contacted us. We were invited in. And they sat me down and they said, listen, this is the potential that exists. This is what we're doing. This is the potential that exists. And they showed me spreadsheet, friends. And when I tell you that the, you, that, that the numbers on the spreadsheet were telephone numbers, I kid you not. You know when you put into an Excel spreadsheet a number and you see all the little X's because the cell is not big enough? It was one of those spreadsheets. Widen the column so that you can understand the potential of what we're talking about here. And I remember I was, I was overseas with my family and we were, I was praying through this. And I phoned up a couple of guys and I said, listen, help me hear God on this. And I'll be honest and tell you that everything inside of me, the flesh inside of me, wanted to say, go for it. It's God's provision. It's so good. It must be God. And maybe you've been there. I don't know. But I had to pick up the phone and say, listen, sorry. It's not going to happen because I don't have the go from God. And they were gracious and they understood that, friends. Fast forward two years later, two and a half years later, all the fundamentals that that spreadsheet was based on, all the drivers in those calculations, all the assumptions that were made, more than halved. More than halved. Almost dropped by 75%. I can say now, thank you, Lord. Because you see, the picture that was painted was not God's plan. And if I'd gone ahead and committed what was a, a fairly large investment to this agricultural project, friends, we would have lost a hang of a lot. God knew better. Jeremiah 29 verse 11 tells us, For the plans I have for you, says the Lord. We know the scripture well. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. Can you say that with me? We are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the things that he planned for us long ago. Can I say this morning, sir, ma'am, God has an incredible plan over your life. He wants to give you access to his plans. He has an incredible future for you, a future that will bring you joy, will not disappoint you. But the way we walk into those plans, friends, is with a humble heart and a servant attitude. We have access to his plans. We have access to his protection as servants. In that situation that I described to you, unbeknown to me, God was protecting us. We have access to his protection, friends. A story you'll, well, you'll know well is found in the book of Daniel. Where a king called Nebuchadnezzar, he has this great idea of building a, an idol, basically, a 90-foot gold statue. And his instruction to the nation is whenever you hear instruments playing, this is the expectation. You all need to fall down on your face and you need to worship this statue, this idol, this 90-foot piece of gold. And whenever the instruments play during the day, that's what you're going to do. And we read about Daniel 
Daniel's three friends, actually. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Remember those guys? And they come to Nebuchadnezzar, and this is what they say to him in Daniel 3, verse 16 to 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. Hear that this morning. He is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. Long story short, friends, after they've made that statement, it says that Nebuchadnezzar throws his toys. He, he goes into a fit and he tells the soldiers, grab the guys. He tells the guys, heat the furnace up seven times. Chuck these guys into the furnace. Because they've been insolent, not respectful, not obeying. And then they get thrown into the furnace, friends. And Nebuchadnezzar has a look. And I think he was hoping to see some guy shrivel up like a little whatever. As they get burnt to smithereens. But he's astonished and he sees that there are four guys walking around in the furnace. And he makes a statement. He says, and one of them seems to be like the son of a god. Or seems to be like a god, sorry. And so he's absolutely astonished and he calls the guys out. And they come walking out the furnace. You go read it in Daniel 3, verse 1 to 30. The story is all there. And it says there wasn't even a hair on their head, head that was singed. And their clothes didn't even smell like smoke. Servants of God, protected by God, friends. We have access to his protection as his servants. We know another man, David. This was the revelation that he carried. He said this in Psalm 32 verse 7, you are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. It was David's revelation, friends. I've shared the story with a couple of people way back when, rewind like, I don't know, many years. Nick's and I were challenged I think we were going through a finance series preached back in Arboretum Primary School Hall. And we were challenged about our budget and what we were spending money on. And, you know, at that time, um, well, we still are, but at that time we were obviously paying for short-term insurance. And we felt God say, well, I am your insurance. And we were like, yeah, God, but, you know, we need a little bit of extra insurance. And God said, no, I am your insurance. And if I remember correctly, next God said, well, what are you going to do about it? So like we, we did what probably most of you would, would say is like really stupid, is we canceled our insurance. I think that was the Sunday or the, the week leading up to it. Anyway, we go to church on a Sunday morning. We come home. We make lunch. <laughs> Nikki looks at her wedding ring. She goes, oh, Don, my, my diamond's missing. Now, if there was one thing that I did well, friends, as someone that was trying to get this girl's attention, was I bought her a big diamond. 
at that time, I thought it was a big diamond, all right? I spent all my money buying it. She looked at her wedding ring, friends. Remember, we'd cancel our insurance. She said, my diamond's missing. And we were like, I won't say what we said. <laughs> but we sat there and we said, okay, Lord, you said you are insurance. So we said, well, Father, don't know how. It's really not a big diamond. It's a little diamond. You need to find it for us, Lord. Help us find it. Anyway, we prayed the prayer. We thought, okay, well, <laughs> it's gone. We take the dishes to go and wash the dishes in the basin. And I don't know whether it was Nick's. I don't know whether it was me. I can't remember it too well. But you know your drain plug? You know the little silver ring around the drain? As whoever was standing at the basin was about to open the tap, look down, on the drain is the diamond. I was like, Lord, clearly you are our protection. Clearly. And it just, for us friends, just solidified something. I don't know when that diamond got lost. I don't know how it got into the basin. All I know is that we prayed a prayer. We stepped out in faith. We were obedient and God protected us, friends. You will find yourself in a furnace. You will find yourself in the lion's den. You will find yourself in the valley. God is your protection. Thirdly, friends, we have access to his provision. Quickly, we need to go through this. I love, friends, you know, remember the story of feeding the 5,000? Jesus fed the 5,000, right? It's all, over, it's all over the epistles, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They all write about it. I love the version in John. I always say this. I love how John writes. I love what John included in John 6, verses 5 to 9. When we read it, it says, Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip for he already knew what it was he was going to do. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, Lord, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There is a young boy here with five loaves and two fish. But what good is that to this huge crowd? Friends, if we know how the story ends. There is an incredible need. And at the end of the story, we see an incredible provision where God not only feeds so many people, but there are 12 baskets left over. And I love the, this is me adding a little bit here. 12 baskets for the 12 disciples. In other words, they each had patkos to carry on with Jesus. But I love what John says, friends, because no other person mentions this in John 6, 6. It says, Jesus asked them this question, Already knowing what it was he was going to do. Already knowing what it was that he was going to do. Can I remind you this morning, sir, ma'am, that Jesus is your ultimate provision. Whatever it is that you are going through, whatever the short the shortages that you're experiencing at the moment, whatever the need is, however big the, 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 the need is and however small the resource looks this morning, in between, friends, is Jesus knowing what it is that he already wants to do in your life. Philippians 4.19 says, And the same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. So as his servants, friends, we have 
his we have his we have access to his plan we have access to his protection we have access to his provision and ultimately friends we have access to his praise and you're going to read about this, and so I won't make too much, or I won't focus too much on this, but in your connect group, you'll see Steve is going to take us through the parable in Matthew 25, and ultimately when the good servants serve fully, uh, uh, serve well and faithfully, they experience the well done, good and faithful servant, friends. And ultimately, friends, we can experience the well done, good and faithful servant here on earth, But what we ultimately live for, friends, is the good and faithful, well done when we get to heaven one day. When we get to live in eternity with our King in His incredible presence. And so this morning, friends, I want to remind us that here on earth is just a prelude to what is going to happen in heaven. Become a good servant to receive the well done, good and faithful servant here on earth because God wants to give that to you here on earth. But ultimately, friends, live with the understanding of that what we do here on earth. The way we transform, the way we become more like Jesus, the way we serve one another, the way we serve our Father will take us to the well done, good and faithful servant in heaven one day. So how do we make this practical? I want to land in five minutes. How do we make this practical, friends? Well, I want to go back to Philippians 2, because like I said, if Jesus did it, friends, that is the template. That's how we need to do it. So I'm going to read Philippians 2, verse 5 to 8 again, but I'm going to read it from the message translation this morning. So it's slightly, it says it slightly differently, but let's read. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had no equal status, sorry, he had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, in brackets once again, we can say servant, and he became human, exclamation mark. Having become human, he stayed human. I love that. When I read that in preparation for this message, that jumped out of me. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. The worst kind of death. Crucifixion. And so from that, friends, I want to pull out four, four handles this morning of what we can learn from Jesus as he transformed king to servant. Firstly, friends, we need to pursue in our lives sacrifice, not equality. Now, I know I'm hitting a sacred cow here because the world is about equal rights. And I get that. I get that. And I'm fully for that. But in the context of what we are trying to learn here, friends, as children of God who are learning to become servants of God, we need to pursue sacrifice, not equality. You see, of Jesus, it says he didn't cling to equality. But he understood that to fulfill the plan of God, he had to give up equality and he had to bring sacrifice to his life. If you want to fully walk as a servant 
of the King Most High, our Master. Understand it is going to need sacrifice. Be prepared to sacrifice your rights as you discover God's call for your life. Number two, pursue radical obedience. You see, friends, it says of Jesus that he, he became human, died. The king in heaven that enjoyed eternal life came to heaven, so came to earth to die, friends. Pursue radical obedience, friends. There is no greater example of radical obedience than what we are reading right there in Philippians 2. Pursue a life of radical obedience. Number three, keep serving even when you don't want to. Keep serving, friends, even when you don't want to. I love it. It says that having become human, he stayed human. I'm sure. No, let me not impute onto Jesus because that would not be right. But if I was in Jesus' shoes, there would have been times when I would have gone to hang with this thing of being a human. I know that I'm God. I can, one, two, three, smoke you O's and take you out. Tired. Tired. Tired of being a servant. When are they going to recognize me? When is my voice actually going to count? Can I say from personal experience, friends, even the best of servants go through times when you go, this thing of servanthood sucks. I rather want to be that. And it says of Jesus, he became human and he stayed human. When you feel like you want to give up on serving, guess what? Stay serving. Stay the course. Become like Paul. I ran the race. I completed the race. I now look forward to my prize, which is in heaven. Don't assume anything else. Don't take on another position. Become a servant. Stay a servant. Because Jesus recognizes, he said in Matthew 25, he who is last will be first. And then lastly, friends, it says he lived a selfless, obedient life and died a selfless, obedient death. For us who are transforming and serving Jesus, find contentment in serving Jesus. Find contentment in serving Jesus. It is not Jesus plus something. It is not Jesus minus something. It is Jesus. Find contentment in serving Jesus because in contentment, friends, you will learn to stay the course. You will not pursue anything to your left. You will not pursue anything to your right. But when you are radically obedient, you've got your eyes fixed on Jesus, you will be fully content. You will be fully satisfied. You will know that my cup is overflowing and I, the way I'm living now is the way I'm going to die. I'm not going to go short left halfway through this whole thing and do my own. Find contentment in Jesus, friends. We are called to be servants of the God Most High. Won't you stand, please? Father, this morning we thank you once again for this journey that we are on, Lord 
Thank you that it is a, a, a journey of becoming more like Christ, having our identity changed, closing that gap, what we see and what we believe versus what you see and what you believe about us. And I pray this morning, Lord, would you, through this message and those that have been preached and those that still will be preached, will you be putting your finger on, your, on our hearts this morning and asking us to align with what you see, Father? Because, Jesus, you are the author and the perfecter of our faith. You are the author and the perfecter of our faith. Not us, not me, but you. And so this morning I pray, help us to have heard your word. Help us to align our hearts. Holy Spirit, help us to tune our ears in to hear your leading this morning as you continue to shape and form our identity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.